Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So our passage for this Christmas Eve is the continuation in Matthew's uh, gospel in the birth narratives of Jesus Christ as told to us by Matthew. Just a few verses, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And keep in mind that these words come after Herod had heard the news of the wise men and that they were coming to worship the one born king of the Jews. He was troubled by that, gathered the scribes, figured out where the Christ was to be born, and then gathered the wise men secretly to figure out when the star appeared. And here's what he says. Here's what we read starting in verse 9. It says, After listening to the king... They went on their way, that is the wise men, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as we do each week. We ask your blessing on your word as we sit under it, as we consider it. We ask for your spirit to be present. We thank you for this. Be with us now as we consider these words of the telling of your coming pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Oh, that's too far. No, that's too far again. There should be some other ones in there, no? Yeah. There it is. <laughs> so, I don't know if you remember this from last week, this picture I put up last week. Anybody remember it? Kind of this depiction of, uh, we're looking at the juxtaposition between King Herod and King Jesus, but it's really both about Jesus, his right kingship, his identity as kingship, and his benevolence as the self-sacrificing uh, king to give to his people. So that's this thing that we had before us. Herod is a failed king. He's selfish. He's self-absorbed. And Jesus is selfless and self-sacrificing, perfect and, bene- and benevolent king. But here's... Here's the thing that I want to put before you as we consider our verses, this question. Jesus, the wise men tell us, is the one who is born king of the Jews. The question that I want to put before you is, is Jesus king of more than the Jews? Of course, the answer to that question is yes. In one sense, he's king of all of spiritual Israel, all believers, but more than that, he's king of all. He's king of every single person ever created, every single thing ever created, Um, uh, visible or invisible, rulers, authorities, all things, all people, believers, unbelievers alike, will all bow before him. Revelation 19, 16 puts it this way. It says, on his robe and on his thigh he had a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is, in fact, king of kings, the king of all other kings in all of the nations. And that's something that we touched on 
uh, this evening when I read from Isaiah 60. I won't read it again, but within those verses in Isaiah 60, 1 through 6, we're told that all of the nations shall come to his light, that the wealth of all the nations shall come to him, that they shall bring gold and frankincense, that's from Isaiah 60, as well as good news, the praises of the Lord. Elsewhere, we get an idea of this as well. Psalm 72 says that, that all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. In short, he is, in fact, not just king of the Jews, but king of kings and lord of lords. And maybe you remember that last week I said that, that the wise men, they weren't just the earliest example of what I like to call the gospel irony. Remember the outsiders uh, knowing what the insiders are supposed to know and vice versa? They're the outsiders that know, and that happens all the time in the gospel. But they were also an early example of the gospel embrace of the Gentiles because that's what the wise men are. They're not Jews. They're Gentiles. They're from the east. These outsiders, these wise men, they came to worship, to pay tribute, to give homage to the one born king of the Jews. Why would they do that? Why would they do that unless Jesus, in their understanding, was somehow their king as well? That somehow they grasped that. Maybe not fully, maybe not in its full theological sense, but they definitely had some sense that he deserved that. And they sat under him. They recognized him as their king. And so the wise men are the first, really, to come as Gentiles, as members of the nations that we read about in Isaiah 60 and in Psalm 72, with their wealth, their gold, and their frankincense, gifts of wealth and value. And, of course, they bring three gifts. They bring myrrh as well. That's not mentioned in Isaiah 60. Tradition understands these three gifts as meaning this, gold, for Jesus as king, there's a royalty to the gold, it's, and that makes sense. Gold is, is a significant part of the building of the temple as well as the, the furniture in the temple. Frankincense for Jesus as deity. Myrrh for Jesus as the one born to die. Myrrh was a spice that they would put, it was part of the burial process. And so gold for king, frankincense for deity, myrrh uh, for his atoning work, his death. That's owed largely to uh, Origen, church father, for those of you who like to geek out on things like that. That's, oh, no one. Okay, just me. Um, anyway, while he, while he this, this, this usefulness, from, this is useful from, from, from Origen. It's, it's a useful application. It helps us to see the kingship of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, the atonement of Jesus. And it's useful. It gives us an insight into the specific nature of these gifts as Matthew lists them here. Some people do a little pushing back. They say there's places where these things are not used sacredly. Gold is used, as I said, in the temple, but it's also used to make jewelry in the Bible. And so it's not always a sacred thing. But that doesn't mean we should dismiss what Origen is saying, but it should be included as a helpful way to understand these verses. But given what we just discussed about the call to worship, namely that those other verses of Scripture declares that the nations will bring their wealth to him that is the king of God's people and the king of all, the king of kings. They'll bring their gold and their frankincense and that the kings will fall down before him 
nations will serve him. It seems that we also need to understand that these gifts from the Gentiles, the members of the nations, is to be seen as a sort of first fruit of these prophecies finding fulfillment through the birth of the King of kings and Lord of lords. They are the first of the nations to come to worship and to honor and to pay homage and to give wealth and to offer praises and to fall down before him. Let me put it to you this way. Keeping in mind these verses of prophecy from Isaiah 60 and Psalm 72 and a number of other places, keeping in mind that these are eschatological in nature, which is just a fancy way of saying they're about the end of the age, the age to come. Does this not also tell us that the wise men's gifts serve as, as I said, this first fruit of the wealth of the nations coming to the king? So in other words, what I'm getting at here is when the wise men come to give the gifts, what they're doing is saying this one born king of the Jews is in fulfillment of the ushering in of the age to come. The incarnation of Jesus is what the prophets talked about, not just about coming, but ushering in the age to come. And the Gentiles now coming in, kings of all nations now coming in to pay homage and to worship and to bring their wealth and to fall before him is an evidence of the fulfillment of those prophecies. It is the birth of our Lord and Savior, but it is the ushering in of the age to come. You've heard me say this many times if you're here weekly. I talk about this all the time when Jesus is born the, the kingdom, the age to come, breaks into the now, and we await for the fullness of that. The now and the not yet of that. Let's take a look at these verses and sort of um, work through them to talk about how this comes about. After listening to the king, we read, that is, King Herod, to the wise men, the wise men went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. We spoke about this last week. Um, astronomical phenomenon all often pointed to the declaration of a coming king in the ancient world. And here is some supernatural activity with the star. But what we're told is this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I wonder, when I read this passage and I was preparing, I, that is very intentional language. There's a lot of adjectives crammed into a few words, if you know what I mean. I, I, I know what it's like at Christmas time, and I wonder how many of us get caught up in everything else but the joy of the season. I just, it's too easy to do, and we all do it. We can't help but do it. Everything else seems to take precedent. But these wise men... They were singularly focused in their mission. The only time they speak was to say, where is the one born king of the Jews? We want to go worship him. And when they find out where he is, the star hovering over the place where he is, what do they do? They don't just rejoice, they rejoice exceedingly. And not just exceedingly, with great joy. And by the way, rejoice and joy are basically the same root word in Greek. So this is joy, exceeding joy. Right? Joy with more joy. Yes, I heard that. Yes. They are filled with joy because they understand this. This is remarkable, by the way. This puts aside all of the thought about its mere homage that they pay. 
as Gentiles, who were not Jews, they're coming to worship Jesus, and the, there is an innate sense of uncontainable joy that is bursting forth. That is profound kind of wording. They rejoiced exceedingly with not just joy, but with great joy. That's profound. That is the joy that we often don't have when it comes to the season because everything else gets in the way. And boy, we can't help it. We prioritize everything else. It's expected. Dinners, gifts, trees, and wrapping, which my wife is very good at and I don't do except for her gift. It's the only one I wrap. I'm grateful for that. But it's time-consuming. It is. Sometimes we don't wrap with exceeding joy, but we should come before the king with exceeding joy. This is one of those examples of the outsiders recognizing the, the person and the work of Jesus in a way that the Jews didn't, and their response is not one of threatening, not one of concern, not a threat to the kingdom like it was for Herod. They say, fall on your knees as we sing. They rejoice. Joy. Deep, deep joy. Joy, as Psalm 16 says, is only found in the presence of the king. And what do they do? They go into the house because that's what they came for. And they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and what do they do? They fell down. They bowed before him as king and worshipped him. And I think we can safely say that they did it with exceedingly great joy and rejoicing. They fell down and worshipped him. But they weren't done yet because then they opened up their treasures. And lo and behold, they offer him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Two of those three we saw in Isaiah 60. Clearly, there's fulfillment, not just of a prophecy from a verse in, in Isaiah 60, but more than that, of the Gentile kings, the nations coming to bring their wealth to the one who is king, even over their king. King of all kings, king of everything. And they pay homage to him in worship. And they give him gifts that are of great value, by the way. Gold and frankincense and myrrh were valuable. They weren't giving uh, the last that they had, some scrap leftovers. They weren't re-gifting. Anybody re-gift at Christmas time? That's not a re-gift. Right? That's a valuable thing, right? Of great value, by the way. And there's some, something that we want to note about that. And it's interesting because uh, earlier uh, this evening, uh, my family and I went to the 2 o'clock service in Montgomery and uh, Pastor John was preaching on these verses as well, and he, he brought up a great insight. He said that these men brought their treasures, which are not of the same value, for the greater treasure. They brought the, the best of what they have, which is the best of our treasures, which we give, our talents and our treasures, but we give them to gain a far greater treasure. And that's a pretty profound way to look at that. They gave what was the most valuable thing they could give in their world by their economic status. But they recognize, I give to get. 
I give in homage to the king. I give with joy, great and exceeding joy. I give what I have as a pittance by comparison to the treasure I gain by worshiping and submitting and falling on my knees before the king of kings and worshiping him as Lord. This is what we want to take away from that. As we consider this, as we come to, to the end of that, as we come to the table, one of the things that we want to think about is this is, is a special night. It's the night before the birth of Christ. It's the night of anticipation, and we await the fulfillment of prophecy. But it's also a night where we recognize that at the birth of Christ is the birth of the King, is the birth of the Son of God who ushers in his kingdom and gives us a taste of the fullness of the age to come. A, a taste of heaven that we cannot get otherwise. I imagine that for many of us, we can think of lots of things that give us exceeding joy. In fact, I'd ask you to take a moment right now to think about that. What are the things that come to mind if you were to make a list of things that give you exceeding joy? What might they be? And I would wonder, where does worshiping Jesus fall on that list? Or maybe I should boldly ask, does worshiping Jesus fall anywhere on that list? At Christmas time, with all of its busyness and all of the gift giving and all the things you want, our list is cluttered with temporal things. And we think they give us joy, but not the joy that Jesus gives. Not the treasure that is Jesus. It really is profoundly simple. The treasure of Christ is a treasure that the world cannot touch, that cannot be corrupted, that cannot be taken away. And it is a treasure that God, by his spirit, gives us eyes to see because we recognize our need for a Savior who comes and lives a sin-free life and dies a sinner's death to save his people from their sins, as Matthew tells us in chapter 1. And it's with that that we want to come to the table and recognize that. As we do this, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to be celebrating the birth of Christ? And now we're jumping to the table where we're recognizing the death of Christ. And what I would say to you is, oh, does there, do we not have them? They're not passed out. So you can pass them out now. I apologize. What we want to say to that, though, is that the birth of Christ and the death of Christ are inescapably linked. Matthew tells us, as I said before, that Jesus comes to save his people from their sins. He comes born of the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and he's named Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. He is born to die because that's the cost of our sins. He has to live sin-free and has to die as a sinner. And so his birth and his death and his resurrection are inescapably linked. It is the mission of Jesus to come and save his people. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift, this table, this cup and this bread. And as we do every time we come to this table, we ask that by your spirit you would consecrate these elements. You'd set them apart for a holy purpose that they might become 
to our faith, your body broken and your blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.